The Daily Tap is live for Monday. It is July 10th. We're going to talk about winners and losers for the Milwaukee Brewers in the first half of the season. We're going to also talk about three things we learned from the Brewers and Reds. We're going to do some Brewers MLB draft, and then we'll talk Bucks Summer League. So a very baseball-heavy podcast. We'll get some football tomorrow. We have a lot of time. We have a lot of time to kill with the deadest week in sports. Is deadest the word? Probably not. Uh, the dead week? I don't know. We'll, we'll figure that out. We'll ask IT. Uh, but yeah, we're excited. It's going to be a good week of shows. Uh, we'll have podcasts Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. TBD if Mitch is going to be joining me for Thursday. He's traveling a bit, uh, but I will find that out from the big fella today. And then we will. I will tell you guys tomorrow. How about that? It's a little one-two punch there. Before we get going, just a reminder, social media, Tap the Keg on Twitter, Tap the Keg Sports on Instagram, on Threads, on TikTok, on Facebook. You can follow that there. And if you are not subscribed to the podcast, what are you doing? Uh, we're on Apple, we're on Spotify, wherever else you do get your podcast. Maybe somebody suggested you check, it, check us out and you've just finally decided to give us a try today, which I very much appreciate. If you're already subscribed, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review. We really appreciate those, uh, as well as just telling the group chat about it. Um, you know, I think this is a week where not a lot of people are producing content, or it's just a run-of-the-mill bullshit, you know, summer topics. And, and trust me, we will probably have some of those. But I feel like this is as content-heavy as you're going to get, and anything that you will listen to in the state of Wisconsin, I don't think you're getting this this in depth on today's show. So let's get into it. Let's talk winners and losers from the Milwaukee Brewers first half of the year. It has been a interesting first half uh, for the Milwaukee Brewers to say the least, right? It's It's been a roller coaster. Uh, Mitch described that on the last time in the keg we did, and he's absolutely right. We you know, were sky high to start the year. The April was a blast of these young guys, Garrett Mitchell, Bryce Trang, Joey Weimer. It was a lot of fun. We, we were having a, a great time with what the Brewers are to start the year. Then they, they fell back to earth. They lost six straight games. Their May was pretty miserable. There were a ton of injuries. Uh, it was kind of like, all right, this is sort of who maybe the Brewers are. And people thought that the Brewers were reverting to form. And then they perked up a little bit in June only to get knocked back down by getting swept by the Oakland Athletics and losing six straight games yet again. And so then the mindset was, should we sell? Should everybody be, you know, thinking about the Brewers as a seller, not a buyer come the deadline? And I think a lot of the fan base wanted the Brewers to do that. They wanted to rip the Band-Aid off and not run it back with the same group of guys time in and time out, which I disagree with. We can talk about that when we look ahead to the second half of the year because I actually do think there is a case to be made for the Brewers to slightly go for it because I, I, I do think there is a area of opportunity to strike even with how good the Atlanta Braves are. But la- but then the roller coaster ended back up. The Milwaukee Brewers finished 11-6 and six in their last 17 games where they did not have a day off. The Milwaukee Brewers dominated another 10-game road trip where they went 7-3. There's a world where, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this uh, during our three things to know, uh, but they could be 12, they have a 12-game winning streak right now. They really could have a 12-game winning streak heading into the All-Star break. They went 8-4, and and I think we'll take it. But think about this. Matt Bush gets walked off on that Friday against the Pirates. 
The Brewers lose a bad game to the Cubs on Tuesday where they'd come back from being down four runs. Now, granted, they, you could argue that was that was one that the Cubs should have won more than the Brewers. I, I can I can agree with that. But regardless, there was still a chance to win that baseball game. There was a chance to win the game on Wednesday. The Brewers gacked all over their shoes with Devin Williams blowing the game. And then you have and, and when I say Devin Williams blowing the game, it really wasn't Devin Williams' fault. Like it was just dumb baseball shit. So I, I should shouldn't have used that harsh of language uh, for my guy Devi. And then lastly, on Saturday, the Brewers had a lead. The Brewers were up five to one, and then you give up a three or it was four to one? Yeah, it was five to one, I think. You gave up a three run homer to Joey Votto. That that tied no, it was four to one. And he ties the game. And then it's a back and forth, and the offense kind of sputters out, and the Reds stay hot. You have the Pagaro mind mind lapse where Ellie De La Cruz steals home, which was inexcusable baseball play. Electric. I was there in person. But still, like you look at all four of those losses, and the Brewers have not got their asses kicked since the game against the Mets uh, on the I think it was like the last week of June. Like that's the last time the Brewers have really got their asses kicked, and. This might be loser talk, but this speaks to, I think, a really good baseball team. If you're losing games like this and you're not getting blown out, I think that speaks to the type of team you are and where your trajectory is going. I think the fact that the Brewers have done well against the Reds is big, and we'll talk about that when we get into the series. But this is, to me, a successful first half. This is not a first half that you should be lamenting. And I will get into it more when we talk about the winners and losers. But this is, to me, not one to be bummed out about. Not to be thinking doom and gloom. You're one game back to the Cincinnati Reds. You are in perfect position. You're hovering around the wild card. For as much shit as people gave the NL Central and were like, oh, the Brewers are only good because they play in this like bad division and yada, yada, yada. Like, the Brewers, I believe, are like one game back of, of the last wild card spot. So this, that to me is nonsense. Like that should just go straight in the fucking trash. Excuse me. Not only are the Brewers are a half game back of the last wild card spot to the San Francisco Giants. So, and the Giants who have been struggling of late and it, and it is baseball, right? This is what we see. Teams go up and down. The Rangers who have been really fucking good this year, they lost two out of three to the Washington Nationals over the weekend. It happens. Baseball is a dumb sport. But I, I think we all should recognize this has been an awesome start for the Brewers. And yeah, it hasn't always been roses. It hasn't always been rainbows and unicorns, which I like to say a lot. But it's been in, it's been a good one. And I think the best is yet to come. So when we go and dive into sort of the winners and losers so far this year for the Milwaukee Brewers, my number one winner, and, I, and this is kind of this is kind of ranked. Uh, I, I don't know if I'd say it's like perfectly ranked, but I, I feel like these are the guys who've won the most in terms of the first half, and it's Christian Yelich. Even though he had a tough Saturday and Sunday of the last two games of the first half, Yelich has been awesome. Yelich has been back to form. I, and it's not necessarily the guy who's hitting 30 or 40 home runs, but it's the guy who's going to hit 20 to 25 and going to be an awesome contact hitter, get on base, make shit happen, and be the key cog to an offense. You can win with this guy. 
I did a TikTok video, which you could watch Tabin Keg Sports. It's back there. But if you DM me, I'd be happy to send it to you about Yelich, you know, not necessarily needing to be MVP form. Like the Brewers needed Christian Yelich to be a little bit better. And he, he's delivering on that. I mean, he's batting 284, 11 home runs, 833 OPS, and 21 stolen bases. Christian Yelich should have been an all-star. It's a bummer he's not. But hopefully that motivates him for the second half. Because I do think that Yelich is going to make people look stupid when he continues this success. And yeah, he's gonna, is he going to slump at some point? Maybe. But I'm really happy with what we're seeing out of Christian Yelich. Because it, it's, it's definitely a revival. And it's something that I think there are Brewer fans who thought it would never it would never get back to this. I always held out hope. I never I never sort of wavered that this Christian Yelich couldn't be be back with the Brewers. But I, I do think there were some that thought this was never never going to be the case. Another winner is Devin Williams. I man, Devin Williams I I'm really impressed with this year. Uh, he's had two blown saves against Minnesota and Chicago. Uh, the Minnesota one, just a bad pitch. The Chicago one, we talked about it in the open, but he's been dominant. Uh, you know, 1.89 ERA, 20 blown saves, or 20 saves, not 20 blown saves, 1.10 ERA at home. He's pitching really, really well. When Devin Williams comes into the game, it seems like shit is completely shut down. There is no nail biting. There is no worrying. It also seems like Devin Williams has a, as quick of a memory as any closer I can remember. The problem with Josh Hader was that every time Hader, not every time, that's maybe a little intense, but when Hader would blow a save, the worry would be that the wheels would fall off. That all of a sudden Hader's like, well, I'm gonna blow another one, I'm gonna blow another one. And then all of a sudden he writes the ship and it's all good and, and then he figures it all out. But like for Devin, it, it seems like he flushes it immediately. Like the Cubs thing happens on Wednesday night. He has to come in on Friday because Tyson Miller can't hold a fucking five five run lead and ha and there's runners on second and third with one out and Devin Williams gets the last two outs to have another save. He comes in today. It's one it, it's a one nothing game. You're facing Ellie De La Cruz, Spencer Streer, and Joey Votto. De La Cruz and Votto have both had big series against the Brewers. Streer didn't do much, but he has power. He's the leading home run hitter for the Reds this year. And Williams, it was a problem. It, it, there was no threat. And so the fact that he was able to, that Cubs game, the wheels didn't come off. They just sort of, it was one bad, one bad outing. And they were going to be blown saves, right? Like that's, that happens with pit, with closers. They, they are going to have blown saves. You can't assume that these guys are going to be perfect throughout the year. But I've just been really impressed with Devin Williams all season. And I... I don't know if I want to get into the Williams versus Hater debate, but I think what, what instead is we are really blessed to have two great closers, that the Brewers have developed a lineage of closers, and they might be doing it again with Admiral Rebet, who I'm sure we're going to talk about when we do the second half stuff later this week. Another one is Craig Council. I know Brian Snicker probably is going to win manager of the year or be up in the route for manager of the year or David Bell of the Cincinnati Reds, also really well-deserving. But Craig Council deserves some love, man. And people aren't going to because of the Reds' success, because of the Diamondbacks' success, uh, because of the consistent success of the Braves. I think Skip Schumacher of the Marlins is also going to get a lot of credit. Like, there's a lot of managers doing good shit 
but you should not lose sight of what Craig Council is doing with this team. Craig Council has had 53 players on this roster and found a way to work through it. He has Jesse Winker as his fucking uh, cleanup guy today. And yet the Brewers still found a way to win this baseball game. He's used Andrew, Andrew Monasterio. He's used Blake Perkins. He's, he's had Colin Ray as his starting pitcher. He, the, the fact that the Brewers are six games up, seven, seven games up, excuse me, at the All-Star break with the amount of injuries, the amount of shit that they've went through speaks to the leadership of Craig Council. You should never take Craig Council for granted. Craig Council has done a masterful job. And to me, he should be in the running for manager of the year. But I, I realize it's going to be a very hard top three to crack through. But it should not be lost on any baseball fan what Craig Council is doing. I realize the Brewers aren't in the national media spotlight. But it's it's not been an easy year for the Milwaukee Brewers. An easy year would have been... Robbie Telez, Willie Adamas, Christian Yelich are all all-stars. Corbin Burns an all-star. Devin Williams an all-star. You know, if that scenario plays out, the Brewers are probably, you know, top team in the AL Central. And, you know, it, things are a lot different this year. Garrett Mitchell doesn't go down. Uh, Tyrone Taylor, after, you know, his elbow injury in the offseason, he figures it out and he's back to form. Like that, all of those things have not happened for Craig Council, and he's had to navigate around it. He's done a masterful job and deserves a ton of credit and is for sure a winner for the first half. Another winner is Wade Miley. Uh, Wade Miley rejoined the Brewers. I, I don't think we thought much of it as Brewers fans. It's like, oh, hey, great. They got Wade Miley back. Well, Wade Miley's been fucking important to this team. 6-2, 3.06 ERA. He didn't miss some time with a lat injury, but was supposed to miss like two months, only missed a month. He's been such a guy for the clubhouse. Everybody loves him. Christian Ellis talked about how Wade Miley instituted like when a guy, you know, does like has an accomplishment, right? Like when he, you know, pitches in his first game or he gets his first strikeout or first home run or it's his hundredth home run or whatever it may be that they have champagne for the guy or whiskey for the guy. And, you know, they, they do do things to bring the clubhouse together. Wade Miley is a fucking leader of men. And I, I think Wade Miley has done a lot for this Brewers team off the field. But on the field, he's been great. Uh, he's really he's really been the, a solid force for Milwaukee. And I, I just, you feel confident every time he's going on the mound. Like, I think at this point, it's kind of like Miley, Burns, Ray, no, yeah, yeah, I'd say Ray, Tehran, and I, I wouldn't put Peralta. Do I put Peralta? I put Peralta at a comrade. I, I can't do Even though Peralta's been bad, I, I don't know if I can do that. But I, I just you just have an unlimited amount of trust that way things are going to go well for Wade Miley, and it's weird when it doesn't. And he's had some bad starts, but, I mean, everybody has bad starts. But he deserves a ton of credit for his season. I was listening to the post-game show. I was driving around uh, doing some errands, and there was some talk about Wade Miley if they're in the playoffs starting game one, and I don't, I don't exactly hate that. I mean, the guy, to me, is more of a playoff starter than Freddie Peralta is right now. I think if the playoffs started tomorrow and the Brewers actually were in and not a half game out in the wild card, I think it's Burns, My well, assuming Woodruff's back, it's probably Woodruff, Burns, Miley, and that's your one, two, three. If you have a three-game series, I do not put it in Peralta. I think yeah, you'd put Peralta in the bullpen, but we'll we'll sort of cross that bridge when we get there. Maybe Freddie has an awesome second half. 
Another winner is Joel Pianis. Or Pianis? Yeah, Joel Pianis. He's been great, man. Unsung hero of the Brewers. Uh, Craig Council called him an all-star. He's, he's had sneaky, awesome numbers. I didn't realize how good Pianis' numbers are until you look at it. 16 holds, 1.4 war on the year, 1.19 ERA, a ridiculous 10 uh, walk-to-strikeout ratio. Uh, that, that, that's, that's awesome stuff. He's had 47 strikeouts and eight walks this year. He's been a rubber arm. He's been very reliable. You know, Pionis has had many. I don't know. He, does he lead the Brewers in appearances this year? Like, it's been awesome to watch Joel Pionis pitch and a guy where you ultimately feel good when Pionis is in, in the game. Like that's that that that's sort of your like security blanket, right? He's become he's not even a, I don't know if I'd call him an eighth inning guy. But he he certainly has been, you know, the second most reliable guy to Devin Williams. I think Holby Milner also deserves some of that too. Milner uh, actually leads in terms of appearances at 42. Pionis is at 40 uh, overall for the year. But And Milner, Milner's done a great job as well. So it, the, both those guys have been steady, rock solid out of the bullpen. Uh, but yeah, and, and that was a throw-in in the William Contreras deal and back to the Josh Hader deal. So think about this, out of the Josh Hader deal, just so everyone's clear, the Brewers have Robert Gasser, who might be ready in the second half, might be a guy that you could do either the long reliever shit that you've done with Burns and you've done with Woodruff in the past, or be a starter for this team, which the Brewers could desperately need as we've sort of seen you know, Tuan and Ray sort of start to, I would say, fall apart a little bit. So now after Gasser, then you also have William Contreras, who came over from the S. Terry Ruiz deal, and you have Joel Pianis. So the Brewers have got a reliable catcher who's been really good, who was probably right outside the winner's circle in terms of winners of the first half. You have an awesome eighth-inning guy, and you have a guy in your minor leagues that looks maybe ready for the second half, or will certainly be part of your 2024 conversation. Pretty fucking good, if I don't say so myself. Again, the execution of the hater trade was terrible, but what the Brewers have gotten back and the returns already has been really good. And the Padres, man, I can't believe some of the deals AJ Prowler has made. I got TikTok. I was like, oh my goodness. Someone mentioned the hater trade as a bad Prowler trade. I don't think it's like trading... Emmanuel Class for nothing, uh, the closer for the Guardians right now. Uh, that to me is way worse. There, there are some bad ones. Uh, I, just hard to believe, hard to believe stuff, man. But anyways, uh, that's here and are there. Uh, happy Pyamas is with the team and really enjoy what he's done so far. All right, the other side of it. Uh, it can't all be good. There has to be losers too. It's winners and losers. It's not just winners. Uh, Jesse Winker uh, is number one. Uh, all bad year for Winker. Batting 200. He has one home run. He has 22 RBIs, 32, 30 total hits, and six extra bases total this season. Jesse Winker has worse stats than CeCe Sabathia did when he was hitting in 2008. Shout out to Barrel MKE uh, for that. Uh, it, it's pathetic, man. We cannot continue on with Jesse Winker. 
And I know that there are many people who've been banging the cast and hero drum. I wouldn't say that I'm joining in that. I, I, I appreciate Keston. I think it's worth a shot. I think it's worth checking it out one more time and then trying to get some help at that DH first base position. But yeah, I don't know how much longer you can go on with Jesse Winker. He just, to me, unfortunately, whether it's maybe the knee injury, it's taking more time to heal or that he's just, he's washed, right? And that it's just not, he's not necessarily the player that the Brewers thought they thought they were getting, you know, at when they did the Colton Wong Winker deal. And Colton Wong hasn't been good either. He's batting 161. He has a negative 1.2 war. So it seems like both teams, you know, have gotten a shit return here. And it's okay to eat the rest of that contract and just say, all right, we're eating it. We're DFAing him. And that's that's it. Um, Because there's, there's not much more you can do. I think Winker is really well liked in the clubhouse. I think he does have a clubhouse presence. So I, I do wonder if the Brewers are going to be more care, careful with that after the debacle with Hayter. Maybe it's a conversation. To me, this is a great opportunity to involve the leaders of the clubhouse, to bring Corbin Burns, to bring Christian Gallatin and say, we're thinking about DFA and Winker. He's really struggling. We feel like Keston can give us a shot on the arm. Are you guys, can you guys work with the players and talk to them and make them understand that this is not, we're not trying to you know, get rid of a, a guy that everybody likes in the clubhouse. It's just all performance-based. Yeah, we got it. We'll, we'll take care of it. Thanks for the heads up. We appreciate it. Like that's the type of stuff I think we need to see more of, you know, so there's not this hater drama because I, I that's the last thing that I want is Jesse Winker to get released and then shit leaks out two weeks later that everybody's unhappy about it and no one liked it and it just changes the dynamic of the clubhouse. Right to is another loser. Uh, it's been a bad year for Rowdy. He does have 12 home runs, but he has not hit one since mid-May. He had to do a 10-day Jeff Supon DL stint just to settle down. Sounds like he'll be back post-All-Star. We'll see. But yeah, Rowdy has continued to struggle this year. It, it, he is making some contact like it, it, and just sort of bad luck, it, it, it appears. But the Rowdy of last year has not seemed to find himself this year. And so I don't know if it's a focus thing. I don't know if it's because he was playing in the World Baseball Classic, if that fucked him up. In terms of his preparation, his routine, uh, I, I think the Brewers really need a rowdy revival, you know, in the second half, and that's one of those too. Kind of what we talked about, Yelich. Like it, it doesn't exactly have to be as good as last year, but if it's at least back to, I, I, I don't know if I'd even say normal, but if it's if there if we're starting to see you know some quality out of it, and it's not two thirteen, and it's you know, closer to 250 and the homers are coming. He only has seven doubles this season. Like that's, that's not a lot. I mean, last year, you know, Rowdy was doing, Rowdy was doing a lot more. And you just hope that that 2020, 22, 22 comes back. He only hit 219 uh, in 2022, which I didn't realize, but he took a lot of walks. His, his OBP was 306. And he, he, his OBP right now with the same numbers is 285. So he's not walking as much as he was. And he had 23 doubles in that year and 35 home runs. So, I mean, that's, that's all part of it. So hopefully we can get that Rowdy back 
sooner rather than later. And I think if they can, I think the Brewers you know, become very interesting. Moving on to more losers. Uh, we'll try to be quick here. Uh, other losers, injuries, man. How bad has it been for the Brewers from an injury perspective? Uh, they have had so many guys go down, whether it's Aaron Ashby, who went down before the season started, Brandon Woodruff, who's still down, Garrett Mitchell, who's probably out for the year, Tyrone Taylor, who's had multiple DL stints, Wade Miley missed some time, Willie Adamas had a concussion, Luis Urias, his year got completely screwed up by a hamstring injury. It's been brutal for the Milwaukee Brewers on the injury front. Like we said, they've had 53 players you know, play a game for the Milwaukee Brewers. So it's not been a good thing for the Brewers. And you just kind of wonder what the full potential of this team is if there's not the rash of injuries. If you, know, only, you only have the Mitchell injury versus the Woodruff injury, or if Wade Miley doesn't miss time, or if Tyrone Taylor you know, has the... Early injury, but then returns to form and doesn't have it again. Another loser is Freddie Peralta. Uh, it's been a rough year for Freddie. I expected much more out of him. Uh, it has not been great. Uh, he's allowed 16 home runs. Uh, that's two more than he allowed all of 2021. Uh, 470 ERA, 582 on the road. His fly ball rate is way high. He's become this extreme fly ball pitcher, which is leading to more home runs. I, I just need more out of Freddy Peralta. This was sort of a, I don't know if it was an expected leap. I think 2022, we expected a leap from Peralta. He got hurt. That's understandable. That shit happens, right? But there was a hope maybe that this would be a leap year for Freddy Peralta, and it just hasn't been. He's been the same. He's kind of back to you know pre-2021. And I think Chris Hook really needs to figure out how do we get the fly ball right down, first of all? Because if we get the fly ball right down, that's less home runs. And yeah, it's been, and also too, how do you how how do you adjust on the road? Like, what are you doing on the road that isn't that isn't part of your routine at home? Like, how do you fix that? And what is that? What does that look like? Are you going out too much? Are you not comfortable in your hotel bed? Are you, you know? eating differently right or going out to these nice meals before you're out pitching and that's fucking you up like what what is the thing that's preventing you from being awesome on the road i think that's that's also part of it and then lastly the second tier bullpen guys man it, after Piamis, pagero wilson strzlecki milner it's been so fucking bad nothing has worked i think craig council had it and that's why admin uribe is up because he's like we're not going to keep rotating through this pile of shit that we have in terms of the second tier guys. Jake Cousins, Trevor McGill, Bennett Souza, Tyson Miller, Clayton Andrews, JC Mejia. They've all been fucking bad. Busakis has been the only one that's been okay so far. Uh, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's a wasteland. And that's why I think Abner came up, uh, which was electric. Um, and we can get right into the three things we learned from the Brewers Red series. Let's start with Abner Uribe. Abner Uribe was electric to watch in person. I had so much fun watching him. 100 miles an hour. He does this gun holster thing after you know getting guys out, which is amazing. Uh, he is an absolute wild man out there. I am all in on Abner Uribe. I have all the stock. I'm buying it all. 
Uh, it is so fun to watch. And I really hope that the Brewers, you know, do keep him up. Like, I hope that I do. I guess I fear that knowing Strzelacki is in AAA, knowing they did that to sort of manage his, his pitches or his, you know, how much he's pitching, his appearances, will Strzelacki be the guy they bring up for Uribe? Or will they bring him up for Clayton Andrews? That, to me, seems like the more obvious choice. And Uribe will still get some chances. I couldn't believe that Council put him in a high-leverage spot to start. I was like, okay, this guy's going to be used more in like a sixth-inning, fifth-inning role. No, he was used, and he eighth and ninth inning, and he he got out of it, man. He he. Or no, did they did he give up a run? I think they did give up a run in the ninth inning, but I can't remember how. I feel like that was unearned, but yeah, that's bad bad by me. But yes, there was a run in the in the eight, ninth inning ninth inning but like look it's not it's it's that's tough like it's not it's not always it's not always going to work out for you that's right india hit the sack fly friedel stole second and got to oh got the third oh the ball that's council got ejected that's right okay so i was like trying to think because the council ejection was so fucking bullshit that was such a lame ass thing for the umpire to do if you miss saturday's game uh, the Brewers were down seven to five. TJ Friedel hits a double off your rebay. Uh, and then after Friedel is gets the second, he he gets the third on a balk. He might have actually only did a single and then walked. I'm, I pulled up the play by play. Let's see here. Oh yeah, infield single. That's right. He hit one, it, you know, kind of no man's land between Anderson and your rebay. Uh, and then uh, McLean reached on an infield single. Uh, and Friedel went to third on the balk. Um, so yeah, it was runners on second, third, and then he was able to get De La Cruz and Jake Fraley out to end the inning. So he only allowed a run in that inning, which was awesome and did his job and, and did enough. And so, yeah, again, I'm all in on having a rebay. Uh, also the Reds are very fun to watch in person. This is the second time I've watched the Reds. Uh, first time with Ellie De La Cruz, seen Ellie De La Cruz steal home was unlike anything I've I've seen. I've been really, tr I've had some treats at the ballpark from non-brewers. I saw an uh, unbelievable Shohei Otani moonshot home run. And then I saw Ellie De La Cruz steal home. And it's really, and this might be a podcast for another time, but it's made me rethink like, do I need to start going to games where like premier athletes are playing against my team? Knowing that could end poorly for me, but just in case you see something awesome and you can be like, yeah, I was at that game. I was there. Is, but are you putting, do you put too much sock in that? Whatever. But I, I just makes me rethink like box Packers games. Like, do I, do I try to actually see, you know, the Mahomes of the world, right? Kansas City's in town in, in December, which I do not have tickets for. But it, but that's the thing. It's like, it, do you want, do you want to make sure that you're seeing the best in the world when you get the opportunity? Um, so that's, that's interesting uh, that, that I kind of had that thought. And, it, yeah, it was a it was awesome. A lot of Reds fans, I, Reds fans figured out that they have a baseball team uh, again, and they were like, "All right, we're go, all going to Milwaukee." Uh, there were a lot of Reds fans in that ballpark on Saturday. Uh, I did mention this, but there, you know, world where the Brewers could have a twelve game winning streak heading into this thing. Uh, I also like the fact that the Brewers are five and two now against the Cincinnati Reds baseball team. I think there is a mental edge there that's developing. Uh, they now, you know, head back to Cincinnati. It's going to be a lot louder, a lot more lively of a ballpark 
uh, when the Brewers are there compared to what it was when they were in Cincinnati in early June, where it was about 30,000 in the stands. It'll be sellouts. I think uh, Murph was talking to somebody from Cincinnati on the bus ride in, and he's like, yeah, I used to be able to get tickets for like seven bucks. Now it's like 99. I can't, I can't get those, which happens, right? When you have a good baseball team. But if the Brewers were able to win another series against the Reds this weekend, and they were up to get to seven and three, then the Brewers would have the tiebreaker. The Brewers are two wins away from that tiebreaker. And that to me is the huge part of this, right? The Brewer, they have 13 games. They're done after the June 20, July 24th series. But the Brewers just need to get to seven wins. They're two away from seven. They get to seven wins, then they have the tiebreaker. So if they are tied at the end of the year, baseball does not do game 163 anymore. They go on tiebreakers, just like every other sport. So that becomes a massive thing for the Milwaukee Brewers. And they could get it on Saturday if they were to win the first two games against the Reds. And I do think that the Reds, even though they are fun, even though they're electric, they haven't really handled pressure all that well, right? And we talked about that on Friday's show where I was like, I don't know if this Reds team actually is ready for this moment. Uh, you know, the Braves, when they faced the Braves, they lost two out of three. When they faced the Brewers, first time around, they lost two out of three. But granted, that was, you know, pre-Ellie De La Cruz. Now, with Ellie De La Cruz, they also lost two out of three. The, the Reds have only lost three series since the middle of May, and two of them have come to the Brewers, which tells me you're kind of not ready to hit with the big boys. And, and look, if the Reds go and sweep the Brewers, you know, to start the second half, completely resets everything then you're back at zero and it's five and five and you have to win that series in two weeks that becomes a playoff series to to win it but it'd be great even if you do lose two out of three and it's then it's what six to four that's still you're still there like then then you're just one win at home you should be able to do that so i love the mental edge that has sort of developed uh between the brewers and reds all right, I might have to say Summer League. So I, I do want to talk about Summer League, but we're already at 35 minutes. And we have MLB draft stuff to talk about. And definitely want to get to it. And I will say, uh, I am not an MLB draft guy. I don't grind the tape, not like we do with the NBA, not like we do with the NFL. So I know very little. I crowdsourced all of it. So thank you to all of those who do do this stuff. And I, I know that there's a lot of us that are like this. And I don't always like to admit on podcasts that I don't know this or I'm not, I'm not familiar with this because I think it makes me look shitty at my job. But let's be honest, it's, this is, if this was my full-time job, I would do a lot more with the MLB draft. I'll put it that way, all right? But it's not a full-time job. So I, I can't, there are certain things I just can't, Buck Summer League is another great example of that where if this was my full-time job, I would I would be watching all the Buck Summer League. Now, did I watch, you know, full highlights on YouTube and what I the more I could get gather and have watched bits and pieces? Yes, for sure. I've, so like it's not to say that I've completely ignored it or not paid attention to it, but that's that's here nor there. Anyways, here's what I found about our guys. Brock Wilkin, fucking beast. Not typically a guy the Brewers would take. First corner infield the Brewers have drafted since Brett Lowry. Brett Lowry, all-time douchebag baseball player. Brock Wilkin does look like he's a little douchey. 
uh, kind of meathead Joey Weimer type. But like I said, I've loved having a meathead like Weimer on this team. Does feel like there's a there's sort of an appeasement of the fan base. Everybody's been asking for a corner infielder. The Brewers don't really have a future third base guy. Remember when we were doing the sort of what the Brewers could look like next season, the third base was certainly a hole. I'm not saying Wilkins is going to be up next year, but he can really swing the bat 6-4. It sounds like he can play enough defense to stay at third base and really hits the shit out of the baseball. And I'm excited for that. I am a little worried that there was a third baseman taken immediately after, uh, and he was, I think it was Braden Lawyer or something like that, or Reuter. And Braden Lawyer, you know, is a TCU guy and got drafted by the Devil, uh, the Rays, not the Devil Rays, formerly the Devil Rays. And you always worry, right? That's like the Patriots drafted in the back in the day, the Patriots drafted behind you, or the Seahawks taking a guy and you're like, shit, or the 49ers for that matter. Like, yeah, so we'll. We'll have to see. Uh, the next guy they drafted was a high schooler out of New York, Josh Noth. I think it's Noth. Yeah. <coughs> it seems like the Brewers are going to be able to sign him. Uh, he is a commit out of Old Miss, uh, but it seems like the Brewers draft him in the supplemental first round. They should be confident they can sign. If they can't, it's an all-out disaster. That's really bad. That would get the anti-Mark A guys fucking hot to trot. He has a ridiculous curveball. Uh, he has so much spin on his curveball. It doesn't seem real. He's only 17. Uh, he's not, I think he's what, a couple months away from turning 18. So he's a young young guy which is not typically something the brewers do uh he also had a 19 strikeout perfect game this spring that's how next level this dude is i am i'm in on it i I really am even though he's a high school pitcher i realize it's going to take a long time for josh to be up in the bigs but man there the potential is there uh, and went to the same high school as Marcus Stroman. So, you know, there is a, there's a pedigree a little bit there. And hopefully the Brewers have no problem signing him. Uh, that's, that's the part you worry. If they don't, like, that's a, that's a big-time disaster and probably the first, like, major misstep in Matt Arnold's career. Mike Bovey is the last guy they drafted him out of Nebraska. Omaha, up-the-middle contact guy, only struck out eight times in 47 games this season. Just gets on base on the left side. Typical guy the Brewers have drafted in the last few years. They love drafting these contact guys. Uh, doesn't exactly have too much power, uh, at least from what, what's been seen. But the one of the Brewers scouting guys uh, told media that they think there's more power there. That he actually, it's, it's a little hidden. Uh, not very quick. Uh, they, not, there isn't really a position for him. I guess he's going to get some second base. He is a third baseman too, but they're like his arm might not be strong enough. It, it seems a bit risky to me because it's like it seems like all this guy can do is hit and get on base. And I know some Brewer fans are like, well, if we'd fucking take that. Like having him bat six or, you know, having him bat where Terang's batting, I would love a guy that just gets on base. I hear you, but it's also. You also need to do a little bit more. And if he's too slow to play third, or he doesn't have a strong enough arm to play third base, but he's too slow 
to be a shortstop, like, do you really want a late, lately hitting first baseman? Uh, I don't think so. So, be interesting to see what what happens with Bovey. Probably the one I'm least excited about. I, I think Wilkin and Noth, I'm very excited about. But Bovey, I I don't have much for you uh, in terms of like my hype level for him. So I hope hope you enjoyed that quick draft rundown. We'll try to do that tomorrow too. I believe the second day of draft is Monday, so we'll try to have some similar. If things stand out, maybe not go blow by blow, but if something stands out, we're like, whoa, this guy's worth talking about. We'll certainly do that. Let's wrap up today's show. We'll transition to basketball and summer league. A uh, few thoughts after watching both the Suns game as well as the Nuggets game. Uh, we've shot him out of the pod. I just want to give a endorsement uh, to my guy Shafty, who's writing a Substack. Uh, check that out. Uh, Shafty Bow on Twitter, uh, definitely worth uh, subscribing to and checking out. Uh, he does great work. Uh, but now getting into it, in terms of the summer league, Marjan Bochamp is doing what I had hoped in these games. Marjan, 20 points in both games. He had 20 against the Suns and six rebounds, 23 and eight against the Nuggets. He's playing 30 minutes a game. He's doing some nice things defensively. I just love what we're seeing so far out of Marjan Bochamp. And the Marjan Bochamp hype train is officially in the fucking station. I think everybody is seeing it. I think the real ones knew that Marjan was going to be part of next year. When you heard the national media pundits talk about they didn't know what was going on with the Bucks or how the Bucks might be on a clock, people kind of lost sight that Marjan Bochamp's a dude and that there is potential there. And Mike Boonholzer not using Bochamp last year feels like such a fucking miss because I do think that that would have really helped this team. And I have no idea why he fell out of flavor. I think that he might have rubbed him the wrong way and Boonholzer buried him on his bench. And that, that could be looked back as a colossal error. Now, maybe he needed the seasoning. Maybe he needed to work with Giannis. But the fact is, is that Giannis and Bochamp have a real relationship and Bochamp's doing it on the, on the floor. And it's better than any second year guy in summer league. I was, I forget who had posted that. Might have been named, might have been somebody else who had like all the different guys in their second year and Bochamp is blowing them away. So yeah, I, I really like what I've seen so far out of Marge on Bochamp. Andre Jackson has been showing flashes defensively. He had some amazing blocks in these first two games. Uh, we haven't necessarily seen much offensively, but that that kind of comes with the territory, right? Like we we know that Andre Jackson isn't going to be giving us the the offense so far. He had a nice dunk uh, in that game against the Nuggets. I had I had, I had nine points, but he was two eight shooting. But nine points, six assists, two blocks one steal, like it, it, it's there. Like you can see that the that the defense is there. You just have to hope the offense is gonna come. Can you sacrifice that on the offensive side of the ball with him? I think is going to be the biggest question this season. He grabbed 11 boards in that game against the Suns. 
uh, had a steal, did not have a block. He had a bullshit goaltend. That was that was terrible. There was a bullshit goaltend on him that he absolutely just cleared out. Uh, so he does not have that on his stat sheet. But if you watched it, it was very impressive. Also had five offensive rebounds. So I'm in on the Jackson being a rebound scrappy. Get you know get as much you know production out of other things and not necessarily worry about his points. I, I don't necessarily care what Andre Jackson is shooting. I think, again, this is very early, and this is good. This is an overreaction, okay? So just chill, and don't, don't flame me. I do wonder, is this a P.J. Tucker-like thing? Instead of Jay Crowder being the P.J. Tucker, is Andre Jackson Jr. kind of more the P.J. Tucker? I just, I, I, again, like that is best case scenario, but would it shock anybody if Andre Jackson's the primary defender for Jason Tatum and starting in a playoff game next year? I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, maybe that's a little bit, little bit too, too rich. Maybe I'm, I'm a little over my skis. It's too late at night to be talking that way. Uh, Nico Mannion uh, has never seen a shot he doesn't like. Uh, I was excited for Nico Mannion. I am no longer excited for Nico Mannion. Uh, there's a reason that Nico Mannion's playing in Italy. I look forward to seeing where Nico Mannion plays in Italy next year. Uh, it's time to learn Italian, buddy. Uh, which I, I, I've, I'm overdoing that quote, I will admit. Not on a pod, but I, I think I said to Jesse Winker, it's time to learn Korean, buddy. I also said it to Luke Weaver. Uh, Murph looked at me like it might be racist. I don't think that's racist, though. But maybe people don't understand. Like, why is he talking about needing to learn Korean? Uh, obviously, because they have the KBO. Time to learn, and and also, time to learn Korean comes off the chat comes off the tongue a lot better than time to learn Japanese. Like, I, and you know, Japanese baseball league's big big deal too. But time to learn Japanese, there it's just too many syllables, right? So, anyways, uh, yeah, Mannion back to Italy, bubs. Uh, we don't necessarily. I don't need. I don't need two more games of Mannion. I actually. One thing I am curious about, and we can get into this now, Jazin Gordman uh, has been a dude for these first two games, and I wonder if Gordman's going to get a starting, get a chance to start uh, in game number three against the Nets. That would be awesome. I think Gordman deserves it. Uh, I, I'd love to, you know, get him more minutes and Mannion less minutes, uh, but we'll see. We'll see, you know, what the Bucks decide to do uh, because Gordman Gordman's very talented, both sides of the ball. I've been impressed with what I've seen so far out of him. He's a, shot a lot in that Suns game. He shot nine times. Uh, so, you know, him and Mannion were not shy. The combined between the two, again, it's Summer League, but they were four for 23. <laughs> that's, that's bad. But Gorman, Gorman does some nice, thing, nice things defensively. Uh, he had a much better game against the Nuggets with 13 points. Uh, and it really, you know, showed, showed himself on the defensive side of the basketball. So yeah, I, I I think that's a guy worth keeping your eye on as well as Tyler Cook. Tyler Cook had a nice game against the Suns uh, with 14 points and you know looked apart. He also had eight and eight in the Nuggets one and a plus 24 when he was on the court in 24 minutes. I do wonder, you know, would there be a situation where Tyler Cook is your starter versus uh, Chris Livingston, who's getting that role? Let's talk about Chris Livingston a little bit. Chris Livingston gets this massive deal, four-year deal for the Bucks to keep him. I asked about it. Apparently, it is to help with the cap, to help with the second apron stuff. Uh, and the Bucks clutch relationship continues to get stronger. 
It's very interesting. It's very interesting to see this develop. Are they sneaky making a run for drafting Bronny and then picking LeBron up next year? Like, is that something we have to at least talk about? That the subtle moves with Clutch? Is that what it's all leading to? I have no idea how fucking Giannis and LeBron would work. But, I mean, obviously, am I willing to try it? Yeah, sure. I think I think we all would, right? Uh, we all we all would. Is that is that where it's getting to it, right? Or is it you know Bronny gonna stay for two years and so it's LeBron will have another year with the Lakers and then that we have forty one year old LeBron coming off the bench. I don't know. We'll we'll have to see. But it's very interesting that John Horst wants the Bucks to be a clutch destination, and I I, I don't think that can be understated. Uh, and Chris Wilson's been okay. Like, it's not, it's not been perfect for Chris Wilson. He's going to need some time. And we knew that, right? We knew that he was going to need some seasoning. I think the one other, like, negative surprise has been Omari Moore has not really got much minutes. Uh, he's not really played well either. Uh, Gordman's outplayed Moore. Uh, and that's that's been a bummer. So we'll, we'll have to kind of monitor that and then keep an eye on what what might maybe comes of that, you know, going forward. All right, that does it for the podcast. That was a long one. Uh, thank you guys for hanging out. Back tomorrow, we'll talk probably a little MLB draft. Uh, if anything catches my eye, I said we're going to do some football. We'll do some football, I promise. Uh, and anything else that comes up, maybe maybe we will talk about the Mark Lazary leaving. I, Bill Simmons had a thing about it and said, oh, the Bucks are on the clock, and I was kind of not – didn't agree with it, but I don't know if I have the best sources on the Lazarus stuff. I, I wish I did. Uh, so if you do, tap me the keg on Twitter. Tap me the keg sports on Instagram. Talk, tell, talk to me. Uh, let me know. All right. Take care, guys. Have a good one. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye.